Pokémon, Pokéballs, 750 milliliter bottle of rum. Welcome to the Velocity Podcast. A study in monology. This is your grumpy uncle Peter. He will say words at you. One of my first summer jobs after high school was working for a music school. And this was called the Johannesen International School of the Arts. It was like a summer camp for incredibly skilled musicians. I have no musical talent, so just being around them was actually quite pleasant. Uh, the ratio was about eight girls to every guy, and I was slightly older than them. They were all in their late teens where I was 20, so you know that kind of worked out in my favor because there were lots of very attractive, talented, smart girls around and not very many guys to compete with. So when it came to dating... I was actually one of the only ones who had money and a car because they had all come from other places and their families or whatnot were paying for the summer camp. So they didn't have a ton of cash on them. I'm not saying they didn't have money, but their families were rich. They didn't carry it with them. Whereas I was actually making a paycheck week to week and I could actually go out and do stuff. So it was a very fond memory for me is the short version of that. It was exclusively music, which made me wonder why it was called the School of the Arts. And it only took a second for me to realize the acronym, the Johannesen International School of Music, if you type that out with just the capital letters, would spell jism. So it was a very sensible choice to change it to School of the Arts, because then you get jisa. But for me, I think maybe the actual true acronym maybe have been more appropriate. That was a sex joke. Quora question on the show, my 600 pound life. How do the people get money if they sit around and eat all day? This is actually a very simple thing to answer. They have some sort of enabler. They have someone who buys food for them and works to supply that lifestyle. Now, that isn't to say anyone's happy about it. You can see they're living this unhealthy lifestyle. Um, but I realized I asked a very similar question. So clearly this one is about food. They provide food for the person, any food they want. They allow them to overeat. They give them what they need to hurt themselves. So this is a case where, of course, you come in and what they need is tough love. They need people to not give them food. They need people to, to force them into some sort of exercise regime to get their life back together. But you can see the denial from all parties. When I've never actually watched the show, I think I watched a clip of a show that was a precursor to this as being a show because back then there just weren't this many examples to actually make a whole show out of. So it was more of a documentary. But there was the person themselves who was denying that what they were doing was wrong. They were cheating on the diet. They were given a diet by their doctor. And then when they went back to the doctor a month later to have themselves weighed, they had actually gained weight over the previous one. And they said the scale was wrong. They had been following the diet closely. Uh, but of course, the cameras are with them and it showed them cheating on multiple occasions, eating too much, eating extra, or adding things into the food they were told they could eat to make it taste better, which of course is usually more high calorie. 
Japan, I live in Japan. Japan has a different yet similar problem in that they have people called hikikomori. Hikikomori. Now, these are people who have withdrawn from society, essentially hermits. And what they do is stay in their rooms all day. So they don't work. They don't go out. And of course, I asked the same question. How do they survive? If they don't go out to make money, how do they have any money to survive? But Japan as a society is set up that kids live with their parents until they get married. So basically, I was 17 years old. I hadn't even finished high school when I'd moved out of my parents' house. And I started living on my own. So I started paying my own bills. And if I ran out of money, I didn't eat. So I had to learn how to manage my money. One of the lessons I learned quite tragically was you can undercook sausages. And I gave myself food poisoning. I was sick for two days, which means I didn't go to work for two days, which means that pay period, which I think at that time was two weeks, I actually had less money than previous months. So I had to be more careful about cooking. I had to cook for myself. These were all skills that actually came very useful to me later in life as I had gone through all these mistakes and lived these through these hardships. Of course, Living in a first world nation and having everything available to you, there was a safety net. I was never going to die, but it was good for me to struggle. Hikikomori have decided that they don't want to engage with the world. A lot of times it's because of bullying or social ineptitude. So they retreat to their rooms and they play video games all day or they just watch anime all day. These are the stereotypes of the Hikikomori. They live online. Now, it's the same thing. How are they surviving? They live in the parents' house, so they don't pay rent. Their parents are feeding them. And they're not asking for any money in return. So they don't have to work. They don't have to struggle. And this is a preferable lifestyle to the difficulties of the real world. So in a way, you need to blame two people. You need to blame the person for choosing this lifestyle and making it happen. But you also need to blame the enabler. And I think actually the enabler is more responsible than the person because they're making it possible. It would be very easy to make it impossible by... If it's in the case of overeating, just not giving them food, not providing food for them and saying, if you want food, you have to work, you have to earn it, you have to exercise or something. And the same thing for hikikomori. I'm not going to feed you. You're an adult. You can take care of yourself. You can get a job and forcing them into the world. Now, that is an awful thing to have to do to someone you love, but at the same time, you're watching them just waste away and kill themselves. In one case, they're overeating, they're killing themselves that way. In the case of Japan, hikikomori which is a story that's come up several times on Ninja News Japan, which how many of them are there and how did they get to the, into this situation. But it's interesting to me, the articles never talk about the support system in place so that they can't actually live that way. If I had tried to live that way, my parents would have kicked me out. I would have had to get a job to get an apartment. Uh, it's the same for my kids. If my kids decide, well, I don't want to work, you need to support me. I'd be like, well, I don't need to support you. If you want to play games all day, find a way to make money doing it because I'm not going to do it for you. And that is, of course, the difference between maybe the way I was raised or the way I'm raising my kids versus how these other people are raised, because they live in a very different world than I do. Core question, why are incels becoming more and more common? You never saw so many 10 to 20 years ago. There are a couple of things that have actually happened. And 10 to 20 years ago, there was no such thing as an incel because that definition had not been created yet. So those people existed. They just didn't have a name. This is a recognition fallacy. It's one of those things where you suddenly decide you like a car and then you see that car everywhere because now you're noticing it. You're wondering if blue has become a popular color because now you suddenly see blue everywhere. But because you were thinking about it, now you notice it. Now that incel has been defined as a term, 
We now have a term for this thing. We can now recognize this thing more easily. Now you seem to see more than maybe there are. There is also a secondary development in the internet because it used to be when I was young pre-internet days that incels could not form a community. So you would have your high school and there would be two or three maybe incels in there, but they were socially awkward. That's part of the definition of an incel. At best, they could form a group amongst themselves, so two or three friends. And they had a choice. They could adapt to society at large, or they could just disappear. But now we have the internet, and the internet is an echo chamber. They can form groups. They can join forums. They can find each other so that they can form larger social groups. And those larger social groups then start to create a feedback loop And that feedback loop is that we are right, we are right. And then they see their numbers grow and it's an affirmation that they are correct. So whereas society did not support them before because the internet didn't exist and society in general would just be like, well, you have a choice. You can either become more normal or you can kind of just go away and disappear. And if they didn't form relationships, that just became something they did on their own. There is a support system now in play. Now that that definition is big enough that we recognize it, we see it in the news, we see it more, and we connect that to people more often. So there are not more incels than there were 10 to 20 years ago. A segment of the population has always been this way. Now they get support. Now they have the feedback loop of themselves via the internet. Now they get recognized. And that recognition makes them seem more common than they used to be. But more than anything else, the internet has given them a voice and they are using that voice, calling out to others, and again, trying to grow their community. So really what you've hit is just a recognition fallacy that before you didn't recognize them, now they've been clearly defined as a thing, they are easier to recognize, so now you recognize them more often. Just a quick note that Daily Affirmations Weekly has been approved by Apple. So that is now searchable uh, on most podcast applications. So uh, most podcast apps actually use the Apple search engine to search for podcasts because Apple is sort of the gatekeeper for all podcasts. So actually getting approved there is a big deal. It's not hard. I mean, I only had one episode and that episode is just one minute long, but it's a little weird. Um, So I was actually worried it wouldn't get approved, but... If you have enjoyed any of this content, uh, if you would like some more content, uh, it's a 30-second podcast in most episodes. So the first one's a minute. That's twice as long, but it's because I have to kind of explain the concept. Please search for Daily Affirmations Weekly. You'll see uh, the cover art's a, a nice purplish picture with a guy meditating in the middle. And you will have something that will just bring a little more peace into your life. So thank you. Please check that out. So there is a story, a shocking story, that a Yahoo engineer searched over 6,000 accounts looking for nudes. So he had access to these accounts, and using their login information, which again, he also had access to, he started looking up iCloud, Facebook, Gmail, Dropbox accounts. And going through all those, trolling for nudes. And he faces a possible five years in prison and a $250,000 fine. The interesting thing to me is the false outrage the media is showing. Because when I read this headline, Yahoo Engineer searches 6,000 accounts for nudes, my first thought was, of course. Because when an engineer is bored and has access to thousands and thousands and thousands of people's personal information and, quite honestly, pictures, 
Why wouldn't he go looking for news? So the idea that this is an isolated incident to me is quite funny because that is how people are at pretending it. Like this is the first one. This is the thing that's shocking because this guy has been caught searching through all these accounts for news. But of course he is because it's going to be happening all day, every day. There are people out there who have access to your accounts and they are looking through them. And anyone who thinks anything otherwise is fooling themselves. And there's only one way to combat this. And that is to flood the system with incredibly unflattering news. So bad lighting, really bright fluorescent lighting, especially if you're as white as I am. Poor angles, double chins, sagging fat. I got a nice spare tire going on, so we get a little bit of that in there. Um, out of focus. And what you want to do is really make it so that your account is not appealing to the engineer, so they give up looking through your account. Now, you can take good nudes, but you have to send those to someone else in a different system. I would recommend printing them out and delivering them by hand. That's a very nice touch. Uh, put them in an envelope, seal it with a little wax, you know, sort of like they used to do. Uh, that's a more personal touch when it comes to dick pics. Now, this takes us to an actual question that someone asked me. So Natsumi sent in a question. She said, why do men like to send dick pics. This is a recent phenomenon. I mean, not dicks, but sending pictures. And the consensus is it's unsolicited and unwanted. And that's the important part because there probably is a segment of the population out there who do want dick pics, but you have to know that before you send it. So why do all these guys send dick pics when they aren't wanted? Because the penis, just like anything else, is... A matter of opinion, whether you find it attractive or not. Now, I think they look ridiculous because it's a weird floppy thing on the front of the human body. The Ken body actually, to me, is sort of a weird male ideal. It's everything's perfectly smooth and encapsulated and there's no sort of weird bumps going on. Now, that would mean the penis would have to emerge from sort of a front flap in Ken. I'm now rewriting all of evolution. This is just purely for aesthetics. The statue of David has a very small penis. That's what everyone talks about. But that's because that was aesthetically more pleasing at that time. So our feelings about the penis change. So small used to be good. It's attractive. Uh, and I think it actually falls into the Ken category where it sort of creates a singular line as opposed to having a big honk and schlong that sort of disrupts the flow of the body overall. Now, if you just focused on the penis, that's a great thing. But penises, I think we all can agree, look fairly silly. But again, that's a personal opinion, and we're talking about aesthetics. So why do men want to send them if there are people out there who do not want to see them? And I think it comes down to objectification, because women are objectified constantly, and men are not. And in a weird way, men want to be objectified as sexual beings. They want that affirmation. So by sending a dick pic, you are sending the singular most sexual thing about you to another person. And what you want is a positive response. No one's ever sent a nude and gone, I really hope this freaks them out. I really hope they don't like this picture I just sent. Everyone wants a positive response. Ooh, that is a very nice looking peepee. And that isn't what happens. So there is a desire for a man to appear as a sexual being to women. Now, they're very clumsy about it. That's why they're sending dick pics. If you think about any good picture, uh, they don't tend to just go full out, full on sexuality. I, as a heterosexual male, do not enjoy the pornography where they get the camera real up in tight. 
because that is a bit too much for me. I like the female form as a whole. So one bit up close is not attractive. So I'm assuming for women, it is the same feeling when they get a dick pic they don't want to see. They don't actually want it right up in their face like that. It's a bit too overt. It's a bit too much. And that might not be the bit you find attractive. Maybe if the same guy sent a shirtless pic with not his whole body, but just his face and his shoulder in it, and he has a really nice shoulder, you might get a better response. It's like any sexual encounter you don't just jump into the act. There has to be foreplay. There has to be things leading up to it. And a lot of men don't understand that because men are so simple when it comes to their sexuality. It is probably a result of masturbation because men get into a state very quickly and then can, if they want, finish very quickly as well. So why do men send dick pics? It's because they actually, in a weird way, want to be treated like women. They want to be treated like sexual objects, which they don't get in their day-to-day life. Because, quite frankly, men are gross. But that actually leads me to an excellent punishment for this Yahoo engineer. First of all, I mean, suddenly I'm thinking, does Yahoo have 6,000 users? But I guess they must. But as punishment, if he is a heterosexual male, and when they say looking for nudes, they actually mean searching for female nudes, his punishment in prison for all five years should be to look at dick pics at least once a day so that he can get a sense of just how much of a violation that actually is. There is a research paper that has been released recently, and it the premise is that sex robots of the future should be able to consent to sexual intercourse. The overarching goal is that the people want the sex robot to teach virtue ethics. So... Because you're not able to have a, a normal relationship with another human being, that shouldn't stop whoever you're having sexual intercourse with from teaching you that there are morals at play here. The flip side of that coin is it wants to avoid the normalization of non-consensual sex. So those are relatively noble ideas. And as we all know, noble ideas tend to fall flat on their face because let's examine, first of all, the thing you're talking about and then the demographic that's interested in it. Because the thing you're talking about is basically a human figurine is designed to be perfectly physically attractive. Now, I'm not talking about real dolls now because they have these floppy dolls and they make sounds and they vibrate and stuff. They're talking about full-on AI-controlled robots of the future that have sex with you as part of their job or existence. Because this is the thing The paper seems to be missing the point. The whole point is for this thing to exist, create sexual satisfaction for the person who bought it. The person who bought it isn't going to be the person who says, ah, yes, I would like to have a lengthy conversation before engaging in sex with this robot I paid for. So the paper is actually saying that the person and the robot should communicate first about what they're going to do and how they're going to do it. And if you don't do it right, the robot will be able to reject you. From a financial standpoint, the company that creates these robots, if they followed this path, again, as noble as the idea might be, would end up in financial ruin when competing against the company that makes robots that say yes every time to everything. So the money involved is going to go towards the less moral aspect. Because at the end of the day, morality isn't playing a role here. It's all about sexual satisfaction and nothing else. The people 
who buy a sex robot in the future. Because again, we have real dolls and stuff. I, I don't think that's what they're talking about because this has essentially a personality and it can be something you can interact with. So they're basically talking AI of the future. People who are going to put the money into this thing do not want it to reject them. That is the demographic you're talking about. They do not want to have a conversation beforehand. They might want to have some dirty talk. They might want to do something else, but they do not want to have a conversation about what they're going to do. And the robot go, I'm not in the mood for that right now. Maybe try again tomorrow. And then it transforms into a little briefcase that, you're not, that you can't open because you don't have the combination now. There is a secondary issue. Let's say the government stepped in and said that all sex robot AI has to have this function. Now, the government has already stepped in and said supercars have to have a top speed, uh, and so they put inhibitors on them. So they, they put a little chip in the engine. Almost every car is now controlled by computers anyway. So they put a chip in it, and it says, you know, you can only go 150 miles an hour. You can only go so much. You have a set top speed. Now, the first thing people who are interested in those cars do is take off that inhibitor chip. So if I was of the demographic in a similar situation, where the whole point of buying my fast car is to go as fast as humanly possible, I'm going to remove the thing that inhibits me from doing that. Groups of people who are going to want to buy sex robots, the first thing they would do is take away any inhibition that the robot might have, because these are programmable. And if it's programmable, it means it can be changed. We learned this from Terminator. I mean, we know this. Those aren't sex robots, but they took a Terminator from round one, the first movie. And in the second movie, the Terminator had been reprogrammed, so it was a good Terminator who only shot bad Terminators. It was reprogrammed, and now it was this kid's best friend. Which sets up a whole series of questions for the whole Terminator universe. Because since it is just AI programming, if we can get in there, so we could get into Skynet and reprogram the thing, then you could have the Terminator Skynet system actually working for the benefit of humanity. We could actually turn them all into sex robots and then people would just be having sex with Terminators all over the place. Still wouldn't get anything done, still end up in a dystopia, but at least it would be a fun one. The paper, should you want to look it up, is called Designing Virtuous Sex Robots. And as soon as they put the word virtuous in there, I knew there was going to be a problem because they're not looking at actual human nature. Now, the idea is they want to teach people who have trouble with real human relationships what things should be like should they have real human relationships and they want to get rid of the idea that sex on demand is something that she should be happen which is true you can't just go up to women demand sex and then actually have yeah, and a real expectation that they're going to do it but they're not thinking about the people who would buy this if you said to me we have two sex robots on the market one from company a one from company b company a eh, it'll have sex with you about 71 percent of the time the other 29%, uh, you're going to have to you know, negotiate a little bit with it. It'll probably say no and turn off for that night. Company B is selling a robot that's up for all things all the time. If I was in this demographic, there would be no question as to which one I would buy, even if Company B's was significantly more expensive. So there is a secondary question, which I don't have an answer to. And it's, is having sex with a robot cheating on your actual human spouse? Because, again, we have to make definitions. A lot of people would say that sex with another person isn't that bad if there's no emotional connection. But I guarantee once people start having sex with robots and the robots have real responses and actually make you feel good about yourself, there will be a real emotional connection there. But I think, again, this misses the question, if you are having sex with a robot, would you ever go back to having sex with a human? 
Because then you have to go back to robot company A that's selling the robot that actually has moods and actually has to be negotiated with, actually will reject you 29% of the time. Dealing with another human is very similar to that. And if what I want is to have sex, why would I waste my time with a real human when again, company B over here offers me a thing that's just going to say yes to anything I want anytime. Human nature is the failure here. Because what we are designed to do is seek out personal satisfaction in all things at all times. And once we can get it, there's no reason to go back, even if it's detrimental to us. But connected to the earlier incel conversation, it might mean those people end up sort of breeding themselves out of society after a couple of generations. And that in itself might not be such a terrible thing. Hey, sexy friend. He's making me his bitch. Thank you for listening. If you have questions or comments, you can tweet at VelociPeter or email VelociPodcast at gmail.com. You can find the podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, Acast or go to VelociPeter.com slash podcast. Big honkin' shong. A big honkin' schlong.